How are you guys? Good? Nice weather, right? Woo, it's hard to be crabby on days like today and yesterday. And I was telling first service, I had this really weird experience. You know, I, I've been uh, realizing that I need to probably lose some weight, you know, and I, but to, it dawned on me with even more stark reality this morning because I, I got here pretty early in the morning. I had some things I needed to do and I pulled my car up into the parking spot on the side of the building and I'm, I'm walking around to the front door to come in, you know. And as I'm walking, I feel like I'm being shadowed. It's two ducks following me. So I'm thinking, oh no, am I waddling now? What's the deal? You know, these ducks are just following me and I, I get the key in the door and I turn back and these ducks, they're just standing. I say, are you guys coming to church? What's happening here? And they're just standing there. So I, I think, okay, this is weird. And so I go and I do some of my stuff and I go into my office and I sit down and lo and behold, there sitting on the window ledge of my office is a duck. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm talking about promises today. I don't know if I dare promise that I'm going to lose so much weight by such and such a time, but I'm going to stop waddling. That's for sure. If you guys see me waddling, just knock a knob on me and say, quit waddling, Spencer. Okay. <laughs> yep. Someone kindly said, you know, Mark, the reason they're following you is you have your ducks in a row. I said, I wish that was really true. (laughs) But we're talking about promises today. Chapter 8 in the book of Hebrews. Just a great chapter, but there's some things that are really important for us to pull out and put uh, down in the front pockets of our brain. You know, promises are important. We're we're always making promises, and and sometimes we're breaking promises. That's unfortunate. Um, We work to keep them, but sometimes we forget them. But one thing sure is, is we're, we're always banking on promises because the reality is that life is built on promises. That's just a reality. Um, when, you, when you came in this morning, you sat down in that chair because it promised to hold you, right? And thank goodness it is. But if you've ever sat down in a chair and had the chair not keep its promise, you'd be a little bit more careful coming in, wouldn't you? would be like, Checking the chair and kicking the legs and maybe slowly sitting down in the chair, whatever it is. But it promised to hold you. It's holding you. You have friends that make promises. Let's get together for coffee and you make a promise. Your job promises to pay you. And you promise to work. Your government promises to protect you. I mean, there's promises everywhere we look. In fact, we see promises all the time in the advertisements. Like, look at these ads that I'm going to show you and see if you can discover what the ad is promising you. Surf delivers a wave of freshness for your clothes. With just one sniff, you'll know your clothes are clean. The Everfresh formula attacks tough odors for fresher, cleaner clothes. What's the promise? Fresher, clean clothes. Right. You know, it delivers a wave of freshness. We all need waves of freshness. You know, and it, it almost makes you feel like you'll be walking on water, too. How, how about this one? This one's a little bit more subtle. Open happiness. What's it promising you? Happiness. Gosh, if you'd only known it was that easy to get, like you could go to the store and buy a big bottle of happiness. I'm sad today. I'm just going to go in the store and buy a six-pack of happiness, you know? But there it is. It's promising. It's going to give you happiness. How about this one? My son John loves these. Afraid of commitment? 
You can lose 25 pounds in only two weeks? If you believe that, you can lose five pounds in the next 10 seconds by chopping off your head because you're not using it. (laughs) Right, John? (laughs) That's just not possible. You know, but we see those things all the time, don't we? These things that come on, buy this machine, buy this pill, um, eat this food, or, you know, buy this duct tape and put it over your mouth and you won't waddle like Mark does. I don't know. How about this one? Yes, we will make you rich. How many of you buy that? See, some signs you just look at it and you go, that's not an authentic promise. It's too obvious, isn't it? But nevertheless, you know, there's, there's these, these things that come our way, promising things, and some are obvious that it's legit, some aren't, but the reality that we see is a second truth that will open up in the chapter, and that is a promise is only as good as the promiser. That makes sense to us, doesn't it? A promise is only as good as the promiser. Like, look at these guys. Tell me if you trust them. How about this guy? If he's promising you something, I think his name is Guido. I don't know. But you look at him and you think, ah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. How about this guy? Huh? He's kind of bringing back the old leisure shoot that I, in the 70s at the discotheques, but there he is. But the thing about, you know, and these guys, obviously, they're, they're probably models or someone who's posing and they're, they're saying, you know, look cheesy and look untrustworthy. But that, the, the problem with promises and promisers is it's not always obvious, Right? You, you think someone who's promised you, you think they're legit. Because not everyone's wearing a sign on their back saying, I'm a con artist. I'm, I'm not going to keep my promise. And the struggle that we have in life as we go through life is that since life is built on promises, we are searching and looking for people who will keep their promises. But it's tough. And, and so you run into places where promises aren't kept and your feelings are hurt. But isn't it true that you keep looking for someone who will promise? You keep looking for promising situations. You keep looking for a completion of a promise. You keep looking for good promises. And you keep searching and searching and searching. It's the reason why uh, books and movies like these superheroes work. is because they promise you unbelievable things. And, and it's like they're, they're unshakable Promise keepers, if you're in need, if, if, you're, if you're caught in a dark alley, don't worry, the Hulk will come running down. And, and, and something in us resonates with this idea that somewhere, somehow, someone will keep their promise and come for me and rescue me. And, and it's deep in our soul. It's a reality. But how many of you have been brokenhearted over unkept promises? Have you been damaged by promises that maybe you had parents that promised one thing and they, and they didn't do it, or you had friends that said, we'll do this, and they didn't come through, or you had a job and a boss said, I promise you this, and they, they didn't do it. And the reality that we have to deal with is that there are two kinds of promises. They're this. There's a conditional promise, and there's an unconditional promise. And the reality, people, is that for all of us as human beings, 
We can only make conditional promises. We cannot make unconditional promises. Because we have a certain condition about us. We might say something we don't really want to do. And our condition is such that we don't do it then. And we break a promise. Or I could promise Dave more that I'm going to go and have lunch with him after church. And I'll say, I'll meet you at Wendy's at 1230. And he goes there to, and waits for me at 1230. I've made a promise. But I get out. And all of a sudden, there's one person who really needs to talk to me. And so they start talking to me. And pretty soon it's 1235. And I can't get out of the conversation. And the conditions around me is I can't get and fulfill my promise. And then I get out that door and I walk out to the parking lot and there's another person who wants to talk to me. And then my phone rings. By this time, it's 1 o'clock. I did not keep my promise. It's not because of my condition. It's because of the conditions around me, right? And all of us as human beings, are, we don't have any choice. We make conditional promises. But yet, in our souls, in our hearts, we know We're wired for unconditional promise. Somewhere, someone can do this, can do the impossible. And we keep looking for it. You see, these Hebrew Christians who are getting this letter, life as they thought, the promises as they received, are not happening. You see, they thought it was going to be easier, and it's gotten harder. They thought that they would be blessed, and now they're having persecution. And their homes are being taken away. Their friends are being whisked away and imprisoned. Some are being beaten. And they're thinking, all of this is because of this thing who made us these promises. This guy, Jesus, who made us these promises. Where is he? And they're struggling. But the interesting thing is resident in their struggle is they keep looking for the perfect promise and promiser. And isn't it true? You might come through something where you're brokenhearted and someone broke a promise to you. And sure enough, down the road, someone else will come along and make promises and your heart leaps at it. It's what we're wired to do, to believe. But what we're looking for is where is the, the one who is the superhero, who's tried and true and can do this Conditions don't affect him. And of course, this is so good that we're doing this post-season. It's so good that Brennan's saying, he is risen because there is one who promised and delivered. There is one who said, three days, you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up. All the promises he made are yea and amen, and he fulfilled them. The priests couldn't stop him. The Roman guard couldn't stop him. The beating couldn't stop him. The crowd couldn't stop him. The insults couldn't stop him. The, the desolation and the, the, uh, the, just the rejection of his own students couldn't stop him. The pain couldn't stop him. Death could not stop him. He lives. And you see this, this person, this Jesus has come and he's walked through on the same soil, the same planet, the same conditions, suffering the same traumas, the same insults, the same rejection, the same hardship, but he is showing us a beat down way. He is taking us home and he is faithful to deliver on his promises. He is faithful. He is yea and amen. He's risen. 
When he comes out, that two-ton stone cannot hold him. The guards that are set, that wax it and seal it, those guards are told, you let this dude out, you're done. It's over. The guards can't stop him. Nothing stops him. He is the unconditional, unshakable, unwavering promiser. And so we open the book. And I love how it opens. The author's great. He says, here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor besides the throne of the majestic God in heaven. Not on earth, in heaven. I love this. Because here is one, this priest who made promises. He came, he talked to us, he promised us, he taught us. He delivered for us, and he rules now in this place where he keeps all promises. Nothing by any means can thwart his eternal plan now. It's secure. And so the author begins this chapter, and I, I, I like how he does it. He, he's like Dr. Scott, my organic chemistry teacher. He used to write a, something on the board, and then all of a sudden he'd stop and he'd go, Whoa, look at that! Man, if I was sitting out in the audience, I'd write that down because that seems really important. In fact, if I was a good professor, I'd ask that question on the next quiz. And it's like, boy, if you don't have it in your notes, you deserve an F. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, here's the main point. The promiser that you've been looking for is here. The condition of that promiser is secure. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can stop him. He is sure. He is faithful. He is promising. And then he goes on to say this in verse 2. He ministers in the heavenly tabernacle. The true place. There it is. The true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. In other words, he is ruling from the place of absolute truth. He is ruling from the place where everything is in order according to his will, his way, and his word. That is the place he ministers from. If you come and see me as a priest here on planet earth, I can't do what he does. I'm not perfect. I can't fulfill even the promise I make to you because I'm conditional. And he's saying, listen, you've got him. Don't look anymore. Don't shop around. Don't wait for the latest superhero. You've got the superhero, Jesus, the risen Lord and King of promises. Now, let's think about this, because the reality is that some promises are better than others. Is this not true? If I say, listen, I can promise you White Castle, or I can promise you Manny's Steakhouse. How many people are going White Castle? I knew there'd be some of you, you rowdy people. How many are going to Manny's Steakhouse? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a better promise, isn't it? And you White Castle folks, we'll drop you off along the way. And then we'll take you into the ER afterwards. I could promise you $5 to show up next Sunday. Or I could promise you 500 Which would you take? Right. Yeah. But because I'm conditional, I don't have any money. <laughs> but the reality is one promise is better than the other. Some promises are just plain better. And this is what the author says. He says, but now Jesus, our high priest, king of promise, 
has been given a ministry that's far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. It's a better covenant based on better promises. And that's our Jesus that's doing this. So we want to ask, what do you mean by this this covenant that has got better promise? What does this mean? And this is the part where you really want to get your, your, your head into this because we don't understand covenant, and we especially wouldn't catch what the author's about to say because we're not reading in the original language. But the reality is, is that something very important is about to get unpacked here. Now remember, these people that are reading this letter, life is not happening the way they thought it would. They're encountering hardship and persecution. And, and, and life just seems like it's out of control. And they're, they're really wondering about the promiser and the promises. Now, the word covenant would have been understand because they come largely from a Judaic past. And covenant's huge there. Abraham and the whole idea of the Abrahamic covenant. But the idea of the covenant and the old covenant is that two parties make an agreement. And so, Brendan and I can make a covenant. And the covenant would be, if Brendan discovers a great restaurant that he covenants with me, he's got to take me there, even if I waddle like a duck. And then I promise him the same thing. If I find a good restaurant, I've got to take him there. And we covenant. Now, in this covenant, in order for it to be a covenant, is that we both agree that if the other person fails, we're going to still hold up our end of the deal. What we're familiar with as Americans is contract, Right? What would happen in a contract in America if Brendan discovers a good restaurant and he doesn't take Mark to? What happens to the contract? It's broken. It is. Fini. It's all done. In a covenant, what would be different is that if Brendan doesn't hold up his end of the deal because I'm such a good guy and faithful to my promises, I would keep up the covenant and take Brendan to the finest of restaurants, including White Castle. Now, So we understand covenant to a degree, and we really understand contract in America. But the word that this writer is using in this phrase when he's talking about one who mediates for us a far better covenant is an entirely different word. You see, the word that would have normally been used in Judaic tradition and into the New Testament would have been the word sutiki, which has got to do with a marriage covenant or a covenant between two parties. But he doesn't use that word. Instead, he uses a word called diatechi, and that is an agreement that's drawn up by only one person. And it's much more like a will and less like the covenant we understand. So listen to this. The new covenant is not something that's pendant on me signing the papers or me holding up the end of the deal. It is entirely based on what the maker of the covenant says. So in my will, I can say, I hereby bequeath Brendan Fairley with my paddleboard. And when it comes time, and Mark goes on to glory, and Brendan gets a call from the lawyer and says, hey, your friend Mark Spencer gave you a paddleboard. Does he have to do anything to get the paddleboard? No. Can you go, can Rich go, whoa, wait a second. Mark promised me that paddleboard. Can he stop what's going to happen? No. Why? It's written. It's bound. 
me, written in there, recorded, I'm the one. Even though Rich protests, he can't stop it. It's already enacted. And it's initiated by one. One person, God. And you see, this is important because good promises help you to believe. See, this is what the author is doing. He's saying, you don't have a problem with your promise. You don't have a problem with your promiser. And you need to remember what the promiser is doing. It's not pendant on what you're going to do. It's pendant on what he says he's going to do. And this guy said, go ahead, destroy the temple. Three days, I'll be up. And he is faithful and true. And so this idea that good promises help you to believe is so critical. It's like Princess Buttercup. How many of you guys are Princess Bride fans? It's a classic, right? And Princess Buttercup is told by Farmer Boy, I will always come for you. How can you say this? Because true love always comes for you. And he gets kidnapped and ransacked, and she thinks it's over. And all of a sudden, amazingly, miraculously, he shows up and she she says, I thought you wouldn't come for me. And he says, did you not know? I promised you I'll always come for you. And yet our nature struggles because we, we say things like, there's no such thing as a, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Because we're kind of prepping ourselves to say, it's not going to happen. And so the idea that someone is always going to show up and be faithful to their pro, uh, process is inconceivable on our planet. It's like, that's inconceivable. How can that be? And we struggle that even though we have these good promises and, and a good promiser, we struggle. And that's what the author is saying. You see, if I make you a promise, there's going to be a span of time before the promise is fulfilled. Right? If, if, I, if I say to Neil, Neil, we're going to go on a trip in a couple of months, he's got to wait a couple of months. And some of the promises that we have in Scripture, there isn't a timeline that's always attached to that. In fact, we're going to turn to a promise in just a moment that came hundreds of years before this writer. And it's, it's now come to pass. In this day, God says, in this day, or in this coming day, there's always a span of space. And that's what makes a promise a promise. And we've got to believe. Because the promise will deliver. And this is the challenge for the Hebrews. It's a challenge for us. When life takes a turn, we have to cling to the one who's shown himself to forever be faithful to his promises. And he does this in all kinds of ways. And he does this in all kinds of broken situations where people are breaking promises. All of a sudden, the Holy One, who is perfect and right, comes in with his perfect promises and changes the situation. There's a man named Bill Wilson, who is a children's pastor of literally tens of thousands of children in the New York City area. And when Bill Wilson was a kid, I think he was 9 or 10 years old, his mom took him to a corner of the busy city and told him to sit down. And she said, Bill, sit down here and I'll come back for you. All that day he waited. 
and his mom did not come back. Through the night, he waited, and his mom did not come back. Day two, all day, no mom. All night, two days, no mom. Day three, he's waiting, still no mom. You think the kid would give up, but he's clinging. It's your mom. You think the promise is going to be on there. And you think, in his world, maybe it's just all crumbling. It's never going to work out. But there is one who's working behind the scenes, always bringing his covenant promises to roost. And he sees a lonely boy on the corner of New York City, and he sends a Christian man who says to him, little boy, I might be mistaken, but you've been here, I think, every day I've walked by for the last three days. Do you have a place to go? And he just started to cry. I mean, what would you do with your little kid? Shaking, crying. The man holds him, comforts him, and brings him home. And that Christian man raises Bill Wilson as his own son. And Bill Wilson becomes the world's biggest children's pastor ministering to literally thousands of kids in all kinds of situations because a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God looked beyond the broken promise of a mom and sent another person to fulfill so that not only would Bill Wilson's life realize the promise of God, but literally thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of children would encounter a promise kept. But you've got to believe. But of all the promises that are so critical, it's this promise here. See, this is, this is the new promise. This is what the writer says. But this is the new covenant I will make with my people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. Now, this is, this is the longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament from the book of Jeremiah. Literally written hundreds of years ago. Now this promise is coming to pass. And now this promise is being reminded to the people who need to cling to this promise because he who is faithful calls you. And listen to what he says. But this is the new covenant. This is the, this is the one that's written by one person. It's not like the old covenant where you could break it, you, you know, or you could make it. No, it's not like that. I'm changing it. How many of you parents have wished that you could go up to one of your children, unscrew the top of their head and get inside of them and move their arms and legs. You know, do this. Wash dishes. Take garbage out, you know. How many... So, this new covenant, listen to what he says. He says, I will make with the people of Israel. I will. Not we will. I will. This is my testament. This is my house. This is my way. I will. Well, what will you do, God? I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Mm. Mm. And then he goes on to say this. If that's not good enough, listen to this. And I will forgive their wickedness. And I will never again remember their sins.
I will, I will, I will, I will. Maybe you should too. Just forget those sins. They're as far as, as east is from west. They're gone. Because I will says so. Not because I make it so. Not because I signed the contract. Because that's what he decided. And he has inked this promise, this agreement himself with his own blood. And what's interesting is these Hebrews think at this moment what they need is they need relief. Oh, I need a vacation. I need to get out of here. I need different circumstances. But you know, you go through all kinds of circumstances. Oftentimes, yes, circumstances can be hard. They can be a trial. But have you seen people that are passing through trials and rough circumstances and inside they are peaceful? Have you seen that? I hope you've seen that. I hope maybe you've experienced that. And the biggest testament and the biggest declaration to the truth of the Word of God is when people walk through fire, tested. How'd you do that? I'm believing the promises of God. I'm walking with a faithful God. And probably the biggest challenge that we need when we go through situations is our struggle is with our own heart. I've had problems in my life, but they've been nothing compared to the problems that Mark Spencer's created for his life. Mark Spencer creates big problems for Mark Spencer. In fact, if, if Mark Spencer could just get rid of Mark Spencer, he'd have a happy life. And then the problem is after Mark Spencer creates problems for Mark Spencer, Mark Spencer creates more problems because Mark Spencer beats up Mark Spencer for making bad decisions or for doing things that he wishes he could change, and he can't. You know what I'm talking about, people? Oh, I wish I could stop that habit. I wish I would stop thinking that way. Oh, I wish I could feel this way. I wish I could do that. And all the while, what you're running into is, I can't fix me. I've got master's degrees in theology. I've got master's degrees in marriage and family for crying out loud. I should be able to fix me, but I can't. The worst part of me, it's like I can't. And this testament says, you shouldn't. I will. I will give you a new heart. Dr. Christian Bernard was the surgeon that Perform the first couple of heart transplants. Some of you are so young, I mean, heart transplants, you hear me, you think it's no big deal. It was a huge deal. The first heart transplant person only lasted 18 seconds. This was number two, and it was a fellow who was a, a dentist, Dr. Blayberg. And he was doing quite well. And so Dr. Bernard asked him to come in, and they were visiting, and he was giving him a physical and checking him. And he said, you know, you're a doctor. Would you be interested in seeing your old heart? And he said, yeah, why not? So he took him down the hall to another room and opened up. There's a big medicine cabinet there. And he reached up, and he took out this encased heart. It was his old heart. Blayberg looked at it, and he's like, wow. And it was scarred, and it, it looked like it needed to be changed out. And this is what he said. As he looked at it, he said, so this is my old heart that caused me so much trouble. And then he gave it back and he says, I think I like my new heart better. 
This morning, God wants to say to you, don't let that old heart trouble you. Because my will and testament, my promise says, I will give you a new heart. He wants to give you a new heart. Those places where you're struggling and changing, don't let go of the promises from a faithful promise because he's going to do it. You need to stand and believe it because it's a good promise. Because he says, he who began a good work in you will. Huh? He will. He will. He's going to complete it. He's going to do it. Faithful is he who calls you and he will bring it to pass. Believe. 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 Let's pray. Lord, we have certain hope. It's not unverified. The tomb is empty. What Jesus said, he did. He's busy now preparing a place for us that we'll yet go to. He's busy now working. He says, you know, in this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So I give you my peace that passes understanding, but will guard your heart and mind. You're working. You're faithful. You haven't forgotten. You haven't let go. You're not like what we encounter in this world because you're unconditional. You're unbelievable. You're unshakable. You're unflappable. You're unstoppable. You're unchangeable. And you're doing your thing. So as we go to worship, as we get ready to do this offering, Lord, let us offer more than just our tithes. Let's offer up our worries, our concern, maybe our, 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 our sense of this isn't going where I thought it would go. Offer our hearts in a new way that you could breathe on them and freshen us up with the hope and promise of your word. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you're doing. Come now and do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.